All right, so when you're going through it, you know, when you're going through conflict of all different sorts, like what are the things that you personally say? Like, what do you personally do? Are you the type of person who, like, flies off the handle into, like, an angry tirade, a shouting match ensues? Or are you the type of person who hides away and pretends like nothing is wrong? Or are you the type of person who likes to maybe manipulate the situation and layer your language with passive aggression? You know, if you are a real-life human being, you are going to face conflict. And how you face conflict is a really important indicator of your character and your faith. The Apostle Paul faced unbelievable amounts of conflict, the type of conflict that turns your hair gray. If you were to say to Paul, well, I I just don't like conflict, he might just open up a can of conflict on you. Because conflict is a part of our reality, and we have to deal with it, and we have to learn to deal with it in a Christ-like manner. So let's get deep with each other tonight. Let's get honest, uncomfortably honest, and do a little table talk to start things off. How do you handle conflict? What methods do you use to resolve conflict? Ready, go.
You have about two more minutes. All right, let's finish the thought and we'll bring it back together here. When it came to the uh, Corinthian Christians, the Corinthian Christians gave their founding pastor, the Apostle Paul, probably more conflict than all his other churches combined. Their conflicts shot up through a new hole, kind of like those pestering moles in the arcade game, whack-a-mole. Paul would pummel one conflict with that foam-wrapped hammer, but not before three more pestering conflicts would pop up. When it came to the conflicts, it wasn't that Paul wasn't doing a good job of taking care of the conflict, not giving it his best shot. No, 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 the Corinthians were just that bad, like 21st century bad. Corinth was a fast-paced city. It was home to, at this time, about half a million people. It was a seaport that connected the Mediterranean Sea with the Aegean Sea, as you can see on the map. The seaport was a shortcut. As we go forward, we can see this sliver of water, even closer view here we have on Google Earth. See that little sliver right through there? That's a waterway that allowed merchants, so they wouldn't have to go around the southern coastline of Greece. They could simply take a shortcut through Corinth. Well, Corinth, as a port city, was very cosmopolitan, bursting with activity, new people, people of all different places of the world, Romans and Greeks, Orientals and Jews, new trends, new ideas, cultural activities. However, as any port of the first century, as a port of the Roman Empire here, lots of crime and sexual immorality. 
There was actually a large cult dedicated to the Greek goddess Aphrodite here in Corinth. And you can use your imagination, or I would actually say don't use your imagination, as you try to realize what worship to Aphrodite might be like. She's the goddess of love and lust and passion. So you can imagine just, or don't imagine, just how disgusting or sexually immoral this worship would be to her. A city like Corinth is ripe, ripe for conflict with Christianity because the Christian life and the life of sin, they conflict. They don't go well together. Paul and the Corinthian believers had a serious conflict. So Paul, in an example of excellent conflict resolution, what did he do? He wrote a letter. Rather than getting into a shouting match with the Corinthians, he wrote a letter. And this one is one of his most personal and heartfelt. We call it 2 Corinthians. Paul wrote in this letter to defend his ministry and also to direct the church in the way that he felt they should go. So let's talk briefly about the conflict that led to 2 Corinthians. The conflict that led to 2 Corinthians had something to do with the fact that Paul changed his travel plans after he sent them the letter that we call 1 Corinthians. Before we studied uh, Malachi, we went through the book or the letter of 1 Corinthians, which actually is not Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth, an earlier letter seems to have been lost. So 1 Corinthians is actually 2 Corinthians, and 2 Corinthians here is actually 3rd or even 4th, as we will begin to see tonight, but we just call it 1st and 2nd. But we should know that there was an exchange of letters going on, many of which, or most of which, have been lost, except for what we have 1st and 2 Corinthians. Well, when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, he was apparently on good terms with the believers in Corinth. He wrote it from Ephesus and said in this letter that he planned to visit Macedonia, which was in the north, and then come south to Corinth. But Paul changed his plans and went to Corinth first. And this change, it seemed to upset the Corinthians. Well, why? Maybe because like the house wasn't ready yet or like the bed wasn't made. What's the big deal? I don't know. But things didn't seem to go very well in Corinth. And so after Paul left Corinth, he wrote them a letter about his recent painful visit with them. And this is a letter he sealed with his tears. We see this letter referenced in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 3 through 4, and unfortunately, we don't have this letter. But soon after, Paul received a report that the Corinthians had received this letter of tears, and they were reconciled to him. And so Paul writes 2 Corinthians within the context of newly mended fences. There has been reconcile. Things are good, and they're going to get better. So if you would stand with me, if you're able to stand, I invite you to stand as we read from our text this evening, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 2. 
says, from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by God's will, and Timothy, our brother, to God's church that is in Corinth, along with all of God's people through Acacia, which would be like the Roman province of this area of which Corinth was the capital. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. God, tonight we come before you. And we want to know about conflict and comfort that you provide. Help us, Lord, in our conflict to see maybe what you're doing, what your purpose is, and how to resolve these conflicts in a way that is glorifying and pleasing to you. Father, I pray that you would meet us right where we're at tonight. And that you would dig deep into our hearts and into our souls. And God, that we would be changed by the reading of your word, by the worship, by the communion, by all of the things that happen on this night, would we return home in a different state than when we came because we encountered you, the living God. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So Paul first gives us a nice little introduction Hey, I'm Paul, I'm with my brother Timothy, and we're writing to you. Verse 3 continues and gets into kind of some of the the nitty-gritty of what we're focusing on tonight. It says, May the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ be blessed. He is the compassionate Father and God of all comfort. This December, uh, we were... We were under the realization that Tara's grandmother was soon to go and be with Jesus. And we were actually celebrating. We were having a little vacation right before Christmas with a couple of people from the church. And we received the news one morning that Tara's grandmother had passed away. And the way in which it happened is interesting when it comes to this talk about comfort. I remember waking up earlier before she had awoken, and I I checked my phone, and I received a text message that said, Grandma Gillespie has passed away. And Tara was still asleep, and I was thinking about this, like, what do I do in this situation? Do I, like, wake her up and reveal this saddening news, or do I just let her sleep, and then later she'll find out? I, I didn't know what to do, and so I just prayed, God, how do I comfort her. How do we deliver this news? Well, she soon found out, but I realized in my prayer and in my heart that I wanted to do more than just comfort. I wanted to to provide more than just comfort or sympathy or empathy or, or words like, I'm sorry. I had to be there for her and with her through this every single step. And you know what? The word that we see translated here as comfort in our passage, how God is the Father and God of all comfort, it's precisely that. Paraklesis is the Greek, and it means much more than comfort, much more than empathy and sympathy and words like, I'm sorry. Paraklesis communicates this idea of standing alongside someone to encourage and to support them 
You know, it's the same word that actually describes the Holy Spirit, the paraclete, who strengthens and guides us. It's the same word that describes Jesus, who is our advocate, who is our helper. It's the same word that describes the Father, who comforts and consoles the afflicted. And so what we see here in Scripture with this word is how the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is the source of all comfort. That means all comfort comes from God. Just not the southern kind, though. Some of you know what I'm talking about. That's not made by God. I think that's from Kentucky, actually. Verse 4a says, he's the one, God is the one who comforts us. And check that out, the, the present tense. This is not the past tense. He, he was the one who has comforted us or will comfort us. No, this is a present tense verb. This God of ours constantly and unfailingly, not occasionally or intermittently, this is the God who constantly and unfailingly comforts us. And comforts us, check it out, in all, not just some, not just a little bit, but in all our trouble. The Greek is phlipsis, and it means trials or affliction, persecution that involves direct suffering. Phlipsis is a tough, tough type of conflict. But no matter what type of affliction or conflict that we may be experiencing, No matter what its intensity might be, God will provide strength and encouragement. That is comfort that's adequate for our needs. Now think about this. How often do we actually neglect and we just completely forget about how God has comforted us in the middle of our trials? Yeah, we're praying for for God's comfort and peace and, and all of that good stuff right in the middle of our trials, and then our trials end, and then we don't even, like, thank God for getting us through that, or things just go back to normal, and we take it for granted until we come to another trial, and then we realize, God, I really need you, but we forget to thank him on the other side. At least I do. I can't speak for you. But verse 4 says, so that we can comfort other people who are in every kind of trouble. We offer the same comfort that we ourselves received from God. So God comforts us so that we can comfort others. You are not the last domino. You are not the last domino. What in the world does that mean? Well, God doesn't just comfort you for the sake of you. I'll say that again. It sounds really harsh, but don't worry. God doesn't comfort you just for the sake of you, but for the sake of you and the sake of others. Our lives should look like dominoes cascading with comfort, crashing upon all of those people around us with comfort that we have thus experienced from God. As God comforts us in all of our afflictions and all of our conflict, we are to comfort others in each and every single way. Let's do some table talk here. How do you personally accept and administer conflict? Ready, go. I mean comfort, there we go, comfort. Yeah. Thanks for listening. 
This one's a shorter one, so make it snappy. Got about 45 more seconds. Let's finish the thought. You guys can also continue these conversations after. But the point is here that God comforts us so that we, in turn, will comfort others. Verse 5 says, That is because we receive so much comfort through Christ in the same way that we share so many of Christ's sufferings. That is conflict that's related to Jesus. So we're overflowing with conflict in the same way that we may be overflowing with many of Jesus's sufferings. We experience not only comfort through Jesus, but also suffering through Jesus. But it's a suffering that we experience because we belong to Jesus and we stand up for Jesus in a hostile environment. It was a couple days ago I was showering at the pool and I overheard a theological conversation. And this doesn't happen very often at all. But the, the conversation was taking place by the lockers some distance away from the showers. But over the sound of the faucet and with soap in my ears and stuff, I could hear the gist of what they were saying. The conversation was moving in a pluralistic direction. Well, aren't these people just fighting over the same God? I mean, like Muslims and Jews and Christians and Hindus and Sikhs. Isn't it just the same God? And they're just killing each other over the same fictitious God. Can't we all just get along and let it be? And uh, I was in that awkward position 
where I'm like soapy and naked and I feel like I should say something, but I'm soapy and naked and what do I do in this situation? I could like burst out of the showers soapy and naked and then go and defend God. That would be, that would be wild. But I didn't. And by the time I was not soapy and not naked, they were gone. But I missed it. Had I burst out of the shower soapy and naked to go and defend God, perhaps I could have experienced the privilege of suffering in the name of Jesus. Had I. Perhaps I could have had the chance to see that regardless of how great my suffering for Jesus might be, God will not only match it, but he will exceed it with his comfort and with his strength and with his encouragement. Verse 6a says, So if we have trouble, it is to bring you, that is the Corinthians, comfort and salvation. Just think for a second Without Paul's trouble, and all the trouble that he experienced, without Paul's determination and missionary trips, where would Christianity stand today? You know, trouble and comfort and salvation, they kind of go hand in hand. Trouble and comfort and salvation, and it's all purposeful. Verse 6 continues, If we are comforted, it is to bring you comfort. From the experience of endurance, while you go through the same sufferings that we also suffer, our hope for you is certain because we know that that as you are partners in suffering, so also you are partners in comfort. In the same way that you can be blessed to be a blessing like the nation of Israel was first intended, you can also be comforted to be a comforter. As you go through sufferings, just like these ancient peoples went through. The experience of faith and the experience of living for Jesus, it means being partners in suffering and simultaneously at the same time being a partner in comfort. Paul had endured much suffering, much conflict for the comfort and salvation or deliverance of his brothers and sisters In Corinth, he also absorbed a lot so that they wouldn't have to endure it. And I can't tell you how many times J-Rod has taken the bullet for me uh, and absorbed some stuff that I wouldn't have to deal with because he dealt with it for me. One of the times it was a, a staff member at another church wanted to, his words, rip me a new one. And the vessel for ripping me, I don't know if you're supposed to say that at church, but this guy was a church staff member who told J-Rod to go and do that to me. J-Rod bit the bullet or took the bullet, however the saying goes, and and realized, you know what, there's probably a better way of doing this. But in that, he took that and absorbed that and actually provided comfort in the middle of conflict. It's pretty amazing. Pretty, Pretty amazing guy, you know? I like him. I don't know about you guys. The jokes are a little iffy, but, you know. Well, verse singing, it's getting better throughout the years. It's been getting better. 
Uh, verse 8 says, Brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be unaware of the troubles that we went through in Asia, which is modern-day Turkey. We're not talking about like Japan or Indonesia. We're talking about modern-day Turkey. We were weighed down with a load of suffering that was so far beyond our strength that when we were afraid, that we were afraid we might not survive. So when we don't, don't like just read over this. This section actually begins a testimony, but it starts to sound like a bragamony. This is a, a term coined by my, one of my best friends, Jeffrey O'Dell Bonesaw Barnett, a bragamony. When someone takes the testimony time and then just starts talking about themselves, self-promotion and uplifting oneself. But Paul doesn't do that here. The honesty is actually gripping, and it turns away from self-promotion and uplifting one's self. And as we continue, we will see that the glory goes directly to God. But before we get there, we have to talk about what trouble is Paul actually referring to here? What conflict is Paul talking about? What we don't actually know. Perhaps Paul's referring to fighting the wild beasts at Ephesus or the uproar and hostility that he also faced in Ephesus, or perhaps Paul referred to the various plots against his life, or the persecutions he experienced in Asia, or the attempt to lynch him. Paul perhaps refers to being shipwrecked and floating in the sea for an entire night, an entire day, or a deadly sickness, or a thorn in the flesh. We don't know. But Paul spoke of it as if the Corinthians knew about it. This is just some of Paul's trouble as well. We will later see in the book of 2 Corinthians his entire resume of trouble. But here the Corinthians probably knew what Paul was talking about. Verse 9 says, It certainly seemed to us as if we had gotten the death penalty. This was so that we would have confidence in God who raises the dead instead of ourselves. So Paul finds this weighed down with a load of suffering, death penalty experience. He realizes that it actually proved to be rather purposeful in that it built their confidence in God, the God who raises the dead. Verse 10 says, God rescued us from a terrible death, not the peril of death, not a, the danger of death, but from a terrible death. Because Paul here had considered himself a dead man. But God rescued, and he will rescue us. We have set our hope or trust or confidence on him that he will rescue us again. Paul teaches us then that affliction does four things. Number one, it makes us more sympathetic. Affliction, it gives us a greater appreciation for God's comfort and encouragement, which he brings to us in the affliction. Affliction causes us to trust in God more, and it gives us a greater confidence in God's power and a greater hope for the future. Doesn't affliction sound fun? So we have set our hope on him that he will rescue us again. Verse 11a says, since you are helping with your prayer for us. This phrase, helping with, sometimes translated as helping together, is actually a 15-letter Greek verb. 
Sunuporgun tone. It's a hapax legomenon. That's a fun word to say. Say hapax legomenon with me. It means uh, it's a fancy term that theologians like to throw around. It means this is only used one time in the New Testament. This word, sunuporgun tone. It consists of three words, three different words, with, under, and work. And it paints a picture, this helping with picture, of workers who are bowed down beneath a, a heavy burden. And they're working hard together to lift it up. So Paul sees here the immediate value of the prayers of the community and how by prayer together God has, is, and will enable us to max out the bench press. He will enable us to put more weight on, to do more reps, to get spiritually yoked. That means swole, if you don't know what that means. But verse 11b says, Then many people, the Greek is literally many faces, many faces can thank God on our behalf for the gift that was given to us through the prayers of many people. It presents the image of many faces that are upturned facing toward God in prayer together, thanking God. Everyone just like look up at this ceiling right now. That's the image that we get of all these many faces of many people praising God and thanking him for the prayers that he has answered. In this beautiful introduction, Paul has found the occasion, even in the middle of affliction and conflict, in some of the most trying circumstances of life, to be thankful. Even suffering has its benefits. Conflict, even suffering, provides the occasion to experience God's comfort, to watch him answer prayers, and to see how we can be strengthened in our walk with Christ. What I want to do in closing is I want you just to close your eyes. We as human beings, we go through conflict. And I want you just to take a moment and think, who's one person that you are in conflict with? Who's one person that you're in conflict with? And I hope you can think of at least one person. But I want you to pray for them. We're going to pray in just a moment for that person that you're in conflict with right now. I want us to pray for them that you might have comfort. And get this, this is radical. But I want you to pray that they might experience God's comfort too, this person that you are in conflict with. And maybe that comfort comes through you. So I want us to pray for them. So God, you know who is on our hearts. You know the person that we have conflict with right now or those persons that we have conflict with. Let nothing interrupt this, God. Not even a cell phone. It's all good. Maybe that person is the conflict that 
someone's dealing with right now. Maybe not. I don't know. Uh, that's okay. Lord, would we have comfort in the middle of this conflict? We ask for your comfort to fall upon us like rain. But Lord, I pray for that person that we have conflict with right now, that they too might experience your comfort as much as we might not want them to experience your comfort. We ask, maybe even begrudgingly, that they would experience your comfort, that it would rain down upon them too. And God, would you teach us what it means to be people who provide comfort even to those that we have conflict with? Maybe give us a word, give us a thought, give us an action right now that we need to take. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts, maybe our hearts that are too hardened. Would you change us and break us down in the areas that Maybe we don't want to be broken down in. But I pray for your comfort to overwhelm our conflict. To break the chains, to break the things that have held us back for too long. We thank you, God, that you are the source of all, of all comfort and love, and peace, and goodness. And I pray for that over this congregation here tonight. I pray that we would experience your comfort, and in turn, that we would crash like dominoes, spreading your comfort to each and every person that we come in contact with tonight, tomorrow, the next day, and our lives entirely. We thank you, Jesus, for the comfort that you have given us. Thank you for the privilege and the opportunity of suffering for you. And I pray that we would take a hold of those opportunities to glorify and honor you by our words and by our actions and by our love. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. All God's people said amen. amen. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a great rest of your week, and we'll see you on Sunday.